It's good to be here again at Cornerstone. As uh, Pastor Lewis said, I pastor a church 12 miles east of St. Louis over in Illinois, uh, not far from the home of the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They have heard of you. Uh, I was raised in Cleveland, Ohio, though. It's refreshing living by St. Louis. I love Cleveland, Cleveland Browns. I didn't know you could really win at baseball until I moved to St. Louis area, though, because uh, Cleveland Indians. So. But it, it's really great to be here, to be a part of the city, to see that it all takes place. It's a different kind of place to be. And you got to love it. The food has, uh, is so alive. The people are, are alive. I love just meeting them and uh, just talking to individual people. I just talk to random people as I see them. Some people around take a little bit. You're taking their space. But I am who I am. I am who I am. So as we look at this whole opportunity to see characters in the Old Testament, and you've heard about a few of them, I want to talk about a guy named Joseph. Joseph was an interesting young man because he was one of the sons of 11 of Jacob. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 37. You'll see there in your handout, Genesis 37, 5 and 7, he says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to my, the dream, this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and suddenly my shaft rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. I don't know if you have siblings. How many of y'all have siblings? Oh, what a, what a great thing having siblings, brothers and sisters. And the, the thing that the secret needs to get out this morning is Joseph, before we start a story, that when we have brothers and sisters, there's always the favorite child. And it's always the youngest one. <laughs> I have two older brothers, and I'm the baby of the family, and they know, without a shadow of a doubt, I'm the guy that gets the coat of many colors. I'm the How many of you are the baby of the family? Well, let the story get out that you are the perfect child. <laughs> I was born in the mountains of West Virginia. My mom uh, went to Cleveland, from Cleveland, Ohio, to have me in West Virginia. Her mom delivered me, my grandmother. I was 12 pounds and 24 inches. My mom took it to a little higher octave than what you just did. And, uh, and it was just really great being born in a family where I was the favorite child. Now, my other two brothers won't agree with me about that, but they, uh, they're not here today. And so as we look at the story of Joseph, he shows us that when you've been given a little favoritism, if you will, People are going to be bothered by it. But he took it a little bit further in this particular story. He said, You're going to, they're going to bow down to mine one day. Literally know that the end of the story would be much more different because when we set out to our own plans in life, sometimes they can get sideways. The beauty of today is that everybody in here, in my opinion, is either fixing, that's an old term, fixing to go through something, or is in the middle of something, or have, ju have just come through something. And as you take notes and you hear some principles that come from Joseph, please keep in mind that at any time, a life, a day can go sideways. You ever start on a day and it was just going great? You ate your Wheaties, got your yogurt, uh, walked out the door with your, with your coffee, with the natural sugars and all that kind of thing that we live with. And uh, I've learned more about that here in San Francisco. Is that... Uh, 
you walk out the door and it's going pretty good and you're whistling and the birds are whistling with you and you can't hear the tra traffic is bad and then all of a sudden you realize life goes sideways. When you had a dream or a thought and my challenge here when you leave here today is this, is don't give up. Don't give up. Joseph speaks very loudly as he, if you will, shouts from the heavens, don't give up. Don't give up on everything you've worked for. Don't give up on the plans you've had. Don't give up. Now, you might have to adjust them, move them a little bit, take care of some, some things as we walk through this. But he really leaves us with some interesting challenge. As we drop down to verse 19 and 20, here comes that dreamers. Now, this is his brothers talking. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into this cistern and say that a fierce, this fierce animal comes and eats him and devours him. Then, they see what com then we'll see what comes of his dream. You know, uh, Joseph in his whole planning of bragging about his coat of many colors wasn't really interested, didn't think that his brothers would take it that far. Uh, I don't know if he was picking or, or joking, but the joke was over. They were very upset with him. They didn't exactly want him to prosper better than them but he wanted to let them know that he sh shined a little better than they did. There's four things that I want to share with you, and then we'll have some final thought. There's four things that I want to share with you about this life of Joseph, this favored child, if you will, this guy with the dream, this youngest son, and they're based on don't give up. Don't give up even if you don't start off well. A lot of us, our story will begin to where we started off well, and some of us, uh, still look behind, still look at where we came from and not looking where we need to go. When we're always looking in the rearview mirror, we never see out of the big windshield of what the future holds. I'm amazed how they park cars around here. Uh, it was just amazing. We went to, we had a tour of the botanical gardens and this guy came with a car and he, <clears throat> there was this little parking space. He probably had this much in front, front and this much in back and he put that car in there. I was so amazed by that because I just think that everybody wants to meet me. And he, he backs this car up there, and I'm just watching this. As he used that rearview mirror to back up, but he didn't use the rearview mirror to go forward. He looked through the bigger picture. And as he did it, uh, honestly, this really happened. The folks that were with me tell you. I went over to him, and I looked in his window, and I started clapping for him. Man, you're the right guy. You know, you gotta, he opened up his door kind of slightly. He said, yes. I said, I've never seen anybody back up like that before. That's amazing. And I clap for him again. <clears throat> but you see, when he pulls out to go into life, it's not the rearview mirror that's going to help him. You follow it? It's a big windshield. Joseph here had to really take a look that things might not start off exactly how you plan or start off well. But if you keep looking in the rearview mirror, <clears throat> it's not going to turn out the way you want it to be. There was a guy in the Bible named Paul, and in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he tells a story about his own particular life. And he says, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord and the power and strength he has given me. He trusted me and gave me his work to do. Behold, he chose me. I talked bad about Christ. I made his followers suffer. I hurt them every way I could. But God had loving kindness to me, for me. I did not understand what I was doing, for I was not a Christian then. Maybe through life, you don't see yourself 
the way he sees you. That when we give our life to him, he really helps us that even though we, in our life, we didn't really follow Christ the way we should. Maybe there's times we put down Christ. Maybe there's times we put down even Christians and all of a sudden we go through something in life where we realize now, hey, this doesn't turn out the way I thought. I need his help. Well, you say then Christ is only around for, for this whole crisis move. No, he's around for everything. It says sometimes we can see a little better when we go through a tough time, when things don't start off as well as we plan. The second one, never give up. Even those, those closest to you don't support you. We get derailed sometimes because of rejection. Rejection is a hard thing. Rejection, in the face of rejection, when we share our plans and our dreams and our thoughts with someone and they don't get that excited about it, they don't think it's as big a deal as we think it is. They don't see it as the greatest opportunity for us. In fact, they might even try to correct us to say, you really should be doing something a little different and a little, really something that is more up your alley or in your swim lane. And we want to, you know, it's okay sometimes to color outside the drawing. Here, Joseph is challenging us. It's not only do things not start off so well, but what about those closest to you that don't support you or don't really rally to it? Don't let it get you down. Because God loves us and he's really, he, he works through the whole re rejection to let us know that he loves us for who we are. So don't give up. Jesus tells in Mark chapter uh, 6, he says, even those in their own country or their own home will be injected. Even uh, the prophet in his own city can be rejected. But have cheer or be of a good heart because he's going to do something greater within you. Now, it comes with the challenge and the push forward, but it always comes. And it comes with great life. When we look at how Jesus is telling him, then we compare it to Joseph. Joseph was really sold out by his family, by his own brothers, because they didn't like what they heard. And they didn't really appreciate what was taking place. Here's the third one. The third one is, don't give up even if your journey is full of surprises. I, I like surprises. In fact, if you like su surprises, just ask God for some. <laughs> but don't complain because you get them. I like surprises. My wife likes scuba diving. I endure, endure scuba diving. She likes, to get, she likes to swim with the shark. I like to stay in the boat. There's some surprises about being a walking, talking buffet that I don't enjoy, and that one wouldn't would be, would be my best. But even though there are some surprises, Joseph went through some times of real surprises. And they were these. Let me just give you some highlights of his life. 23 years from 17 to 40 till we get to chapter 50. Here he is. He's misunderstood by his family, sold into slavery to Potiphar, living in a strange country far from his home, given favor from Potiphar's house, and then sold as an Egyptian slave. Accused falsely by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison, people lied about his integrity, and then he's in charge of the prison because he stayed faithful to God. Forgotten by the chief cupbearer, as you read through the story from Genesis 37 through 50, forsaken by him, but God still remembered him. 
remained in prison for two more years, interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and became the second in command of Egypt. Here's this guy who started out with being the coat of many colors, and then everything now started to not go, his circumstances start not, started to not go his way. They didn't take full control of his life because he started to realize that God had something better. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, For we know that all things work together for the good, to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. If we're not careful, we forget the purpose. Sometimes we try to make that purpose ours, and the whole time as we're following God, as Joseph's trying to, or he is, the purpose becomes more enlightened when we realize that God is committed to our character, not all the time our comfort. As I share with you, I was raised by a single mom. Great lady, worked two full-time jobs. And uh, she had a therapy. We call it therapy now. Back then, it was just something for her to do to take her mind off what was taking place. She loved to put together puzzles. Now, my mom would work, leave early in the morning, work her job, come home for just a couple hours, and then literally go to another full-time job. And in between time there, she would work these puzzles. Now, we had, she would find the beauty of Elmer's glue back then was once you get these puzzles together, you smear Elmer's glue on them, and it keeps them together. And then she would slide them over on a piece of cardboard and hang it in our really shallow basement. She wanted to hang on to these paintings. <laughs> so she was real brave one day, and she got a painting that was 5,000 pieces. I thought she was losing her mind. 5,000 pieces. 50 was more boring to me than life you could ever imagine, but 5,000. Each one she would get a little bit more, and I said, thought to myself, she'll never get this done. I've got to help her. So here she is putting this puzzle together. She leaves to go to work, and while she's gone, I start to take these pieces. Now, to put a puzzle together, if you don't know, I'll give you the secret, is you find all the flat pieces, the framing of it. You put those out first, and then you take piles of the green and the blue or whatever colors they are in the houses and the people, landscape, and you try to collect them into these piles to where they will fit together for a good picture. Little did I know the, the artist called the puzzle putter together, my mom, is that you set up the box lid so you can see it to put this puzzle together. So my mom left, she had these piles ready to come back after her second full-time job and put these puzzle pieces in this framework that was there. So I went over and I started putting these puzzle pieces in the places I thought they were taken from the pile and then the, somehow the piles got a little mixed and the box lid fell over and I didn't pay any attention to the final picture. And I started to put it, but the secret of being really very proficient at puzzle making and this is what Joseph felt like, is that you need a good pair of scissors and some Elmer's glue. Because you can trim, you know how those pieces go, you can trim that off, <laughs> fit it in there, glue it, smear it, and they'll never know what you did. So I went to bed, I did a little bit, and I, uh, my mom came in and I heard her come in late at night early in the morning, and she said, what happened? Talking to herself, some mothers do that. <laughs> Talking to herself, what happened to my puzzle? And my middle name is Freeman, 
only my mom is able to call me this. She said, Hal Freeman, you're in trouble. I came downstairs, and here was this puzzle with some Elmer's glue and some pieces that were not in piles anymore, and the piles were mixed up in this framework. And she said to me, what did you think you were doing? Mom, I'm just trying to help. I cut to fit. Don't it look great? Well, not really. And she said, what you forgot is you got to keep an eye on the final picture. What happened to Joseph's life and his whole cut to fit, and maybe you're trying to cut to fit, is don't lose sight of the final picture. Sometimes when we lose sight of the final picture, what happens is we try to make it the way we think it should be, and we lose sight of the eternal purpose of God, that he is working together for our good. We don't see it as good sometimes, at least I do, and I forget that he's a master painter. He knows how to pull it all together and make it right. Maybe you've cut the fit in your job. Maybe you've taken some shortcuts in your life and they weren't really the best for you, but at the time you thought it was the best decision. Or maybe you've made some decisions in life. You took all the information you had, made a decision, and it didn't turn out the way you planned or the way you thought. God brings peace to you today to let you know about Joseph, this Old Testament character and hero, to say to us that even though Life can be full of surprises, and even surprises we ask for. Keep in mind, it might not work out the way you planned, because God has a better plan. Here's the fourth one. Don't give up, even if it takes a long time to realize it. 23 years. Great story to read this afternoon, Genesis 37 through 50. About a young guy, 23 years. Two years in prison thrown in a pit, and the whole story happens. Even though it takes some time, Pharaoh put him in charge. But what happens in the in-between time? What happens at a time when we are waiting? When we wait. I have found out that in this whole challenge of waiting, that it is, like I said in the beginning, that God is trying to work on our character more than our comfort. God is trying to bring us to a place where we understand really what he's doing and what he's bringing about. He's trying to develop within us patience. Waiting. I don't like waiting. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and they said there was an hour and a half wait? You got in a car that took you 30 minutes to park anyway. He drove to the other place to eat. And when you get there, they say it's two hours. It's a wait. Waiting. Or when you're praying, like Joseph did in prison. You're waiting. You're praying. You're waiting. And what's God trying to develop in you? Patience. Paul writes and he says, let patience have its full work in you. Patience. Patience is really based on trust. Will I trust him? I have a life list that Pam and I are working on together. A life list is different than a bucket list. You know why? Because when you finish out your bucket list, I think you're supposed to kick the bucket. I'm looking for (laughs) 
to get as many miles out of this body as I can, aren't you? I mean, I want to get as many miles as I can, every day, every second, to be full of life. And I, uh, one of my things in my life list was to ride on a zip line. And so I got on this, went to this place, Pam and I did, and it was really high. And when you're my size, high is five feet, but it was real high. And uh, they put me in the harness and gave me little instructions that when you go across the line, before you get to the tree, before you realize that it took a long time than the short time to get there, before you realize it, you squeeze your hands and it'll stop. I mean, it stops just like that. Well, I got on the line and he said, if you don't uh, stop this in time, you gotta pull yourself back. And so I got up there and I got about halfway to the tree and I hit the, I wanted to slow down a little bit. And I grabbed too quick. And I stopped right in the middle of the, whole, of the line. So I had to spin around, have you ever done it? And I had to pull myself to the next tree. At my size, that's a whole lot of pulling, sweating, and whining. And I got to the next tree, and here comes the instructor. Because there's a whole line of people, they don't want to wait on me to finally get uh, through the thing. And so he comes over there, and he gets on the little platform with me, and he says to me, he says, sir, what is your name? I said, it's Hal. He said, Hal, how you doing? My name's Barry. I said, Barry, good to see you. I said, what do you want, Barry? <laughs> he said, well, I'm going to help you get across this line. I said, Barry, I'm at the limit of weight. How are you going to do that? He said, well, you take off, and I'm going to jump on your shoulders, and I'll take care of the, uh, stopping the, the whole run from tree to tree. We had nine more trees to go through out of the ten on my life list. That's not a bucket list. And he jumps on my shoulders. We take off. You talk about fast. I was going fast. Whew. And so just before I get to the tree, I would stop. And he'd tell me, don't do that. I'll handle it. We got to the next tree, because then he had to pull me back. I said, OK, Barry, you're the instructor. Pull me back. So then we got to the next tree. We take off. And I didn't squeeze. And just before we got to the tree, I had to trust Barry. And just before I got to the tree, he stopped us. Man, I was thankful, because these teeth, I want to take them with me when I die. <laughs> we got to the next one. He said, sir, he said, Hal, he said, really, don't be nervous. Don't sweat it. Just realize that in the length of this ride, I got it all under control for you. Okay, Barry, he took us to the whole thing. I got down. It was a great fun. My heart was beating fast. I had a great time. Check it off the list. And as I was walking away in the quietness, it was like the whisper of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about an audible voice. Audible voice. I'm just talking about <clears throat> what came to my heart. It was like the Lord speaking to me. Son, you don't know Barry, but you listen to him. And he told you don't do something, you didn't do it. When he told you to do something, you did it. How long, and the thought, question came to my heart. Son, how long have you known Barry? So I talked to myself about it, and I knew I was talking to the Lord. I said, just a few minutes. And he said, the thought came to me from the Lord. I made you. I developed you with your personality your anxiousness, your impatienceness, you're not wanting to wait. And I put you in situations to grow you. And I put you in places to trust me that I will stop something. Yet bury who you, hear this now, bury who you did not know. You let him control everything about that ride and you trusted him. Joseph, in the middle of all that he went through for 23 years, had to come to the conclusion this, 
that being patient is God is really working something out within us that could come no other way. We just need to trust him because he knows what? He knows exactly what he's doing. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your resume you sent out. Maybe it's a person you trusted to say, hey, you got connections to get this job or to get me a promotion or to meet these people, and you didn't do it. So then we have a choice. What will we do with that? Is it get mad at Barry because Barry didn't get me to the certain places? Or is it is to trust the Lord that he knows exactly how to walk our steps for us to walk? Let me give you some final thought. Some final thought about that Joseph leaves us and he really gives us this challenge about. Some final words is this. Focus on what God is doing in you and not what happened to you. Focus on what God is doing in you and not what happened to you. Joseph here, since God is committed to our character, he's determined for us to be in the right places. You see, he prayed, God, what do you want me to learn? The challenge for us to leave here today, and don't, don't give up, even though the, the plan isn't going exactly the way you wanted, don't give up. What do I need to learn from this? One thing that I learned from <clears throat> my mother right after our dad left is this. This is a great principle. She taught us, I'm not always responsible for the circumstance I'm in, but I am responsible for my response. I'm not always responsible for the circumstance I'm in, but I am responsible for my response. Let me ask you a question, if I could say all of us that understand what Joseph is going through, in his final words. What's the circumstance you're going through? Pink slip? Person you love walked out? The education you thought you were getting, it didn't work out the way you planned? Your kids going to school? This happened to Pam and I. Kids going to school, got through two years. Child going through school, got through two years and decided to change majors. That's expensive. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's circumstances. Even more intensely, circumstances that you have no control over. I'm not always responsible for the circumstance I'm in, but I am responsible for my response. This is where we embrace life and start to say, God, I'm not going to give up. We embrace, embrace life and say, God, with your help, with surrendering to you to help me to live a life I can't live on my own, you're going to help me with this. Because, God, you know exactly what's going to happen next. I don't. You know exactly what it takes to get from point A to point B. Sometimes I want to go from point A to point Z real quick. I want to cut the puzzle pieces a little bit. Not that I want to cheat anything. I just don't like waiting. But he brings us now, Joseph brings us to this place in his final words. And he says, focus on what God is doing in you, not what just happened to you. Well, Hal, you don't understand the hurt. I may not, but God does. God does. God knew in Joseph's life. Here's the second thing I would say that Joseph is saying to us in closing. He's saying this. How we respond, how we respond to offense 
determines our future. How we respond to offense determines our future. How we respond. 23 years, here's Joseph, cultural dress, well-trained, now second in charge of Egypt. Great famine hits the land. It hits the land in such a way that now the people are coming to Pharaoh asking for help, asking for food, asking for substance for their, for their families because they didn't have anywhere else to go. But God so designed that way that it came to the place that, they, that these brothers of Joseph would come. And the reality in Joseph's, in Joseph's own life so changed that it came to the head, if you will. Here they are in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 through 21. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. I, to accomplish what is now being done and saving of many lives, so then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. When we see this fellow named Joseph, he tells them, he sees his brothers come in. He recognizes it. He's got the traditional uh, dress on. He sees them. And he has a different perspective. When we go through these times, it is about perspective. Joseph's perspective changed so much that he realized that my perspective is not as my perspective is more important than the problem that I have. My perspective is more than the immediate lack that I have right now. My perspective. So there's actually, if I could present to you, two perspectives that I think that we all have a choice in. Here, shown by Joseph. The first one is the human perspective. Remember I share with you, you're not always responsible for the circumstance you're in, but you are responsible for your response. Did all things really do work together for the good? That when uh, we go through times that are a surprise to us, that God, by his grace, works in us something greater? What is the human perspective? What is the human perspective that you've been going through? What is the hurt, disappointment? What is the things you don't like? What is it over the last 23 years that maybe have been unfair? And maybe you've never been to a jail or a prison, but in your own heart you feel like you've been stuck. Have you ever felt stuck in the same place? Here Joseph is sharing with us, there's really two perspectives in my opinion. It's a human perspective. We can get bitter. Keep in mind something the Lord dealt with my heart about. If you can't control something, don't let it control you. Here's the second perspective. It is the divine perspective. The divine perspective says this. God misses nothing. The divine perspective says that I knew it all the time. I'm the all-seeing, all-knowing God. I see you right where you're at. And we lose that perspective. We let the problem become what we focus on or gets our perspective. And the whole time, it's important to realize that God's trying to change us. 
Discovery Channel tells a story and shows it very beautiful that when it takes place, everybody's bowed down, and here's Joseph sitting on the throne, all the cultural garb on. He walks down the center aisle, sees his brothers, and his brothers don't recognize him. He kneels down right by his brothers, and he says to him, Genesis chapter 50, 20 and 21, and he says to him this, what you meant for evil, God meant for good that your family will not perish and you will not leave here in famine without supply. Because what happened to me happened to the blessing of many. Sometimes we forget real quick where we came from and how quickly we can get back there again. huh? And he says to them, what you meant for evil, God's going to turn it around for good. I share with you from the heart of Joseph and the heart of God this. Give God some time in your situation, your circumstance. Here's the third thing that I'd like to share with you, the last one, that Joseph leaves us. Every dream has tough times. But remember, God is always with you. God is always with you. The Gospel of John says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Maybe he's trying to tell us we should never fly. No, I don't think that. But he says to us that he's always with us, no matter what you go through. That the circumstance you're in, it's going to turn around for something greater within you, and it all depends what you focus on. What is working within you? He's telling us to embrace it by letting God become a part of our life so strongly that we ask him into our life. We don't ask him into religion. We ask him for a relationship. And relationship becomes so needed because now we realize that from Genesis to today, that God has been working on relationship. Adam and Eve in the garden, he comes to the garden after he told them, don't touch the tree. And what does God say? Adam, where are you? And he says, we're over here. God, from that point to this, has been working on relationship. You say, well, man, pastor, I've done something so shameful. God is not ashamed of us. He loves us. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess to him everything, you say, do I need to make a list? No, he knows. Just say, I give you my life. We embrace then, as Joseph did. We embrace. Here's one of my favorite scriptures, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. This is one, if you want to look it up, it's out of the good word translation, God's word translation, excuse me. And he says this, the Lord your God is with you. He is a hero who saves you. He happily rejoices over you, renews you with his love, and celebrates over you with shouts of joy. Once again, I think God gets a big charge out of, if I can put it that way, when you and I get out of bed in the morning. Some of you might take to noon, but eventually, when you get out of bed, he really gets excited about it. When Pam and I will walk through our house sometime and over our grandchildren, over our children, say this, the Lord your God is with you. He is a hero who saves you. He happily rejoices over you. He renews you with his love. Man, you got to feel it because it's embracing. It's embracing all that they went through and celebrates over you with shouts of joy. Man, it's really something. I don't know that he says, with shouts of joy. Oh, man. I think God is so passionate about you and I. He's not going to love you anymore or any less. He's for you, not against you. So when we look at this whole study of Joseph, as you read through Genesis 37 through 50, keep in mind this. God is going to turn around what you're going through for your good 
in his glory. He's going to take what your setbacks are to setups to things that are greater. Because the Lord your God is with you. He is a hero who saves you. He happily rejoices over you. He renews you with his love and celebrates over you with shouts of joy. Oh, man. Oh, don't, I'm getting kind of excited. I'd apologize, but I'm not uh, sorry for it. <laughs> We're going to have a time of giving. Then the band's going to come and play a final song. But I want to pray for you not to give up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be here. Thank you, God, that you know us and you're for us. Thank you, God, that you are a God who loves us and you're for us. And we embrace that, God. That the Lord your God is with you. He is a hero who saves you. He happily rejoices over you, renews you with his love, and celebrates over you with shouts of joy. And Father, just by the asking, by saying, Jesus, come into my heart and my life, you do. In your name.